Welcome to episode 153 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop, and we're going to be talking today about renewables in Latin America. And one of the reasons why I'm really interested in this is because fossil fuel advocates have been arguing for a long time that oil and gas in particular, the demand will will not drop as quickly as uh, some are thinking because developing countries, primarily in Latin America and in Asia, uh, will maintain demand. They'll be slower to adopt uh, renewables and other electricity generating technologies, slower to adopt things like heat pumps and, and electric vehicles. I'm skeptical of that argument. And so I'm going to be talking to Cassandra Omalia, project manager with Global Energy Monitor and one of the co-authors of Race to the Top, Latin America 2023. Welcome to the interview, Cassandra. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Now, I want to get your reaction to the, you know, sort of this bigger sense, that that argument that I just laid out. And I think that, you know, Russia, if there's been a change in the last year or two, it's Russia's invasion of Ukraine because it shows that fossil fuels can be weaponized. And that's that's a big concern. And so everyone's looking to energy, you know, security and and more domestic supply of their of their energy. So that's one argument for adopting renewables faster. And the other is simply that renewables are falling in cost. So if you want to improve the um, uh, the well-being of your of your population, uh, it would seem to me that adopting renewables uh, and, uh, and other sort of clean energy technologies is the is the fastest way to do it but what do what do folks in latin america think what do governments think are, are they thinking along those lines or or not yeah so at here at global energy monitor we um research and track energy infrastructure globally um and if you look at um, the data that we have in our global um, solar power tracker our global wind power tracker and compare that to the data also that we have in our global gas plant tracker and our global um, coal plant tracker, um, you can get a sense of um, what this region is planning on building in the next five, 10 years. Um, so we're tracking um, all the projects you know, that we can find um, that are even announced. Uh, maybe they have um, specific information on, you know, oh, I've got a power purchase agreement for this power plant that I'm going to build. Um, and so we've got a good um, sense of, of that. And if you look at how much the region is planning on building in wind and solar and compare that to what it's planning on building with gas and especially with coal, uh, we're seeing much, much larger numbers in the wind and solar build out in the region. Can you give us a sense of the the relative magnitudes here? Uh, are we talking about uh, the the plans to build wind and solar being five times greater than coal and and natural gas, uh, ten times greater? Uh, what's your sense of it? Yeah. So just looking at a the total summed capacities, uh, wind and solar is three hundred and nineteen gigawatts of planned capacity in the, the region as an entirety. Um, for natural gas power plants, uh, that's 100, uh, about 106, oh no, I'm sorry, um, 70,000 uh, megawatts, 70 gigawatts of a planned gas um, 
power plants. Um, and with coal, it's very small. Um, we're only looking at uh, 1700 um, megawatts or 1.7 gigawatts of planned coal capacity. So, um, you know, somewhere about, in the somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five times as much renewables as coal and uh, and natural gas. Yes. Okay, that that's interesting, and it will it'll be interesting to see how if that changes at all, uh, because of course when we're talking about natural gas, I'm assuming that at least some of the natural gas must be imported in the form of LNG. Yes, um, I can't say uh, in, entirely uh, um, where the region is getting its natural gas, um, but certainly um, some of the, the countries that with the bigger um, plan for natural gas, that would be uh, Brazil has a big plan for, for gas powered plants. Um, and I believe they would certainly be um, importing that potentially through pipelines from, you know, um, the, the north of South America and you know, French Guiana, I know they have uh, large gas resources. So I'm not sure if it's in LNG or via pipelines, but. Um, uh, sure. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about renewable capacity here, because one of the things, I mean, Latin America is in the global South. It has incredible solar resources uh, and it has actually e perhaps even better wind resources, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is almost a global standout for its, its solar resources, in particular, um, sort of in the right um, near the equator in the Atacama Desert, where you just really don't have a lot of um, cloud coverage, you're at a high altitude, and you're right by the, like I said, by the equator, you really, really great um, solar resources. But, uh, you know, as a region as a whole, um, I, I think there's only like two landlocked countries. And so um, in general, wind resources tend to be um, quite high near the coasts. Um, and so uh, it, the, the region as a, in general is um, uh, quite rich in wind and, and solar resources. Yeah, I see from one of the charts from your report that the uh, so right now uh, in in the region uh, operating wind capacity is about 40 gigawatts prospective wind capacity is about 95 somewhere in around there and on the solar side it's uh, operating capacity at uh, just over 20 gigawatts and prospective ca capacity at about 73 74 gigawatts and and I, I assume that these charts this is all between now and 2030 uh, yes, that's correct. Right. So what now, not not all countries are created equal here. There are some leaders within the region, and uh, it looks like Brazil, Chile, Colombia and Mexico are leading. But and then others, of course, are, are lagging. Why are those four countries leading? Yeah, um... So, I mean, and Brazil, especially in its planned build out is, is really, um, you know, they're, they account for about three fourths of the land, you know, total wind and solar capacity uh, in the region. Um, and, um, but in, in general, you know, Brazil, Chile, Colombia have um, just, um, favorable policies um, that have that that for example um, Brazil has a law that allows independent power producers to 
create projects and add them to the utility, to, to the grid. Um, so that allows uh, basically foreign investors, uh, it's more favorable for foreign investors to come and install power, uh, wind and solar projects, for example, um, having renewable um, auctions and tenders where the government says, um, hey, I'm looking for people for proposals. Um, you know, I have this area, these plots of land or or ocean set aside for um, you know, re renewable energy development. Um, and then just uh, policies as well, um, subsidies, feed-in tariffs, things like that. Yeah, Brazil seems to be a, a, a natural for this. It sounds like their system is somewhat similar to Alberta here in Canada, where they have a wholesale market and any any qualified developer can put in a wind or solar farm. And what's happening is that big companies, even like Amazon and and uh, Microsoft, never mind Canadian banks and, and other industrial comp countries, companies, uh, are, are entering into these power purchase agreements and so whatever their needs are, uh, you know, if they need a gigawatt of or X number of gigawatt hours per year, that's what they purchase in Alberta. And then that's essentially a credit and, you know, for their operations all across uh, across Canada. And it, it sounds like something similar is happening in, in Brazil. But it, Brazil is also a big hydro producer. And and I'm wondering, because we're again, we're having this discussion in, in Canada, it, you know, the, the idea of using uh, hydro dams as big batteries, energy storage for intermittent wind and solar, uh, it just seems like such a good idea. And I'm wondering if that has helped uh, Brazil, you know, maybe become one of the leading renewables adopters in Latin America. Yeah, um, I can't entirely um, uh, speak to um, the specific installations on, um, they call it pumped hydro storage, right? Where basically you, you have a dam, you let water flow through, you generate electricity that way. And then you use, for example, solar or wind to pump that water that you that just went through your dam, pump it back up into your reservoir so you can um, basically let that water back through. For instance, at nighttime, you know, when the sun's not shining, when the um, wind's not blowing. Um, so I don't have like specific figures on, on pumped hydro storage in Brazil, but um, the region as a whole and Brazil in particular is, is very hydro dependent. And I think um, a lot of the governments are recognizing that um, there are risks to hydropower uh, with, with climate change, either via drought, um, like we're seeing in, in my region in the Southwest of the US, um, uh, or also with floods. Um, so both, both floods and drought can um, have adverse effects on your ability to generate electricity via hydropower. And um, so trying to stem some, you know, have alternatives to your, you know, a strong reliance on hydropower, you know, Brazil has recognized that they, they've had um, a big drought back in 2001 and, and they're, they're working on um, diversifying their um, electricity sources. Sure, that that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, what about the the countries that are, you know, that are not big renewables adopters at this point? Uh, and maybe you could you could describe uh, if you know some of the policies uh, and circumstances for those some of those countries. But what are the what are the 
you know, top barriers to adoption of renewables for those countries? That's a, that's a great question. Um, and uh, honestly, one that, one one that we didn't really we didn't really look at the ones that um that weren't doing so well with renewables adoptions um but you know what, what we'll we'll edit we'll edit that question out I'll, I'll just move on to another question um what about <clears throat> can i can i ask a question about the role of, of capital in in building these kinds of facilities okay well, Cassandra, one of the questions I'm I'm wondering about because developing countries always have one of the issues around wide, widespread adoption of these technologies and development is access to capital. But it seems like now, with the global consensus around the need to lower greenhouse gas emissions to combat climate change, more capital is being made available for renewables development than ever before, and. So what's the role of access to capital in the development of Latin America's uh, renewable resources? And and is this a, perceived as a big opportunity to tap into some of those sources of global capital that are being set aside uh, for this purpose? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, there was a, a recent report that came out from the International Renewable Energy Agency um, and, a, and a partner organization that... Uh, that yeah was showing that uh, more so than ever um, investments in renewable energies um, is as um, coming to the forefront. Um, but it also highlighted that um, that um, low income countries, uh, low and middle income countries, aren't necessarily getting the access to capital that they that they need, and especially with um, with the Russian invasion in Ukraine. There's been a lot almost like a, a focus now on uh, in Europe and in, in and in the North American United States um uh, putting put, sort of taking that capital and and investing it um in those wealthier areas um and so there is still a need for you know international um financiers and governments to um still be providing um access to capital um in regions like Latin America um, and the global South in general. Um, but at, at the same time, I think there are a lot of um, att attractive um, opportunities. Um, it, one, one of the things our report touches on briefly is um, the idea that the, the region could be um, poised to be a net energy exporter, um, it both in the form of hydrogen and maybe via direct cable um, cable links with um, across North and South America. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a, a a hope that that even just the the the, the economics alone um, will be enough to um, incentivize external financing um it's an interesting idea that the uh, the impetus to electrify europe along with the biden administration's uh, uh newfound well, i shouldn't say newfound that's not fair i mean the, the you know biden ran on on a, a clean energy plan 
and catching China for clean energy technology and, and industry in 2020. But but really, in the last year, uh, I, you know, he's he's really stepped. The, the administration, along and Congress, have stepped up with the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, the Chips and Science Act, the Infrastructure Investment Act, and and it's and so that that now the U.S. and the Europe and Europe are building out their capacity at a very rapid rate and probably attracting capital that might otherwise have been made available for you know other regions like Latin America. And so that now <laughs> the success in one area may be hindering the development in, in another area. But I want to ask you a question about, you know, we're talking about utility scale here. We're talking about national kind of strategies. But it's always struck me that in developing countries, uh, you know, especially ones that have large rural populations still and 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 building and maintaining a, a grid, if you have a grid, some of them don't even have access to electricity. But building and maintaining a grid is very expensive. And it seems like, you know, solar in particular in, in uh, the global south would be a just a fantastic way to bring electricity and economic development to some of these areas that haven't had it up until now. So what about the, not just wind and solar, but what about related technologies like microgrids and battery storage and and the software and other kinds of technologies that go along to enable that? Is is that kind of, are those available in, in Latin America, like readily available and economic? Yeah. Um, so, um let's just start with small scale solar, you know, rooftop solar. Um, you know, Brazil is actually a, um, a, a, a sort of a standout country, it's definitely in the region, but maybe even globally, um, they have a, a lot of um, deployment of small scale rooftop solar. Um, it is not something that we are not able at the moment to track um, solar uh, Below our, we have a, a threshold at Global Energy Monitor, um, below which we can't fully track. But um, some, okay, according to um, other other data sources besides Global Energy Monitors, um, uh, yeah, there there is um, some, and again, that goes back to the um, sort of uh, policies and incentives that the government has put in place that allow, um, you know small-scale rooftop solar um, attractive and affordable. Um, I, one Another thing I want to, um, area countries that I want to highlight are, are small island nations um, that are part of Latin America. And um, you often have, uh, because these are small, isolated um, islands, um, being reliant on fossil fuels is expensive um, and burdensome. And um, it really does make sense for um, these areas to um, in, in invest in, in, in solar, um, small, small scale solar. So um, uh, uh, for, um, for example, um, like uh, Puerto Rico is, is actually a great example that has been devastated by uh, hurricanes, multiple hurricanes had issues um, with a lot of its energy um, power plants and its infrastructure and has um, is currently slowly working towards adoptions of um, lots of small scale solar um, with uh, microgrids and battery backups um, because 
really that is a, a terrific way for these places to become more climate change resilient, more resilient to natural disasters like hurricanes um, that they are going to be seeing more in the future. So Puerto Rico is kind of a leader, but we're, we're you're expecting maybe to see that model spread in, in other country, Latin American countries. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I have a question that I don't know that that uh, this might, you know, might not fall under energy monitors purview, but I'm I'm quite fascinated by this shift in the last year from from, uh, from a focus on the adoption of, of clean electricity primarily wind and solar, but others as, as well. Uh, and now there's a, a recognition, and the International Energy Agency uh, said this in their January report, uh, Energy uh, Technology Perspectives 2023. They said, look, up to now, it's been all about the adoption of the electricity. Now we have to figure out how to build the industry to build the, the clean energy technology. Right. I mean, who's going to build all those, you know, wind turbines and solar panels and and batteries and microgrid equipment and the kind of stuff we're just talking about? You know, if we're going to expand, if we're going to shift from fossil fuels to clean electricity, there's a whole lot of equipment that has to be built and then installed and maintained and, and so on. So that's a that's a big task all on its own. And I'm wondering if there's any conversation in Latin America about saying, hey, you know what? Maybe we can build solar panels here. Maybe we can build wind turbines. Maybe we could build electric vehicles. Is is that is that conversation going on? Um not that I am aware of. Um Latin America in, in terms of um sort of developing technologies for you know the renewable energy transition one thing that, that does stand out in latin america is um uh, basically lithium mining um so in uh, i mentioned um in the, the atacama desert in uh, chile and peru um you have these uh, they, they're one of the world's biggest lithium mines um lithium mining operations and so that is um that is uh, definitely a place where Latin America is playing a part, and and I think they there is definitely interest in um, in improving um, technologies for lithium extraction, um, as the the way it's currently being done is uh, uh, right, environmentally and then, damaging. Yeah, and I need to put a plug in here for a good Canadian company. This is uh, I've interviewed her many times, but. Uh, uh, Summit Nanotech uh, and Amanda Hall from Calgary uh, developed this uh, process uh, and technology for extracting lithium from briny water. And Chile is the place where they're piloting it. And the piloting, uh, I just interviewed her uh, a month or two ago, and, and she was saying that the pilot project's going really well, and they're getting very close to scaling up. And it'll be Chile's uh, uh, lithium miners that will shift over to that approach and get away from the the, the current mining process with these big um, uh, ponds where they you know they basically evaporate the uh, the liquids around the lithium, and and so it's kind of a neat that we've got a Canadian and uh, connection to to Chile. Well, uh, Cassandra, thank you very much for this. Is uh, very interested. I've been wanting to do something about Latin America for a long time. Really appreciate your insights. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was fun.